So thank you everybody uh, for joining. And this is, you know, while I've had, as you know, talked for a long time, but this is actually the first time we're doing a live stream. So it's live and I gotta, can't rehearse my words and I gotta back up and, you know, so I hope it works out. There is a little problem with my audio, it seems. So mm -hmm. Denise is gonna, I don't know, raise a thumb or something if I become, if I garble. I don't know why I've spent two weeks trying to figure this out and I've given up. Um, so again, welcome. And I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. I'll try and keep it short. Um, and also, by the way, these classes that I do, as people who do know me know that I do like a somewhat interactive um, session or time. I like to connect with people. It's a little harder the digital wiring that we're dealing with, but we can definitely do it. So, um, Lauren, and what is the protocol for if I ask a question? So everyone's muted. Is that right? Okay. So if I ask something, you can unmute and join in or, or you know, we'll try and see how it goes. And if it doesn't become too chaotic, we, we can be able to do that. It's easier for me, too, because when I can connect with people, it's not just sort of rote. You know, otherwise, we can just read a book on, on this stuff. A um, couple things about what's, I think, different that I try to present and I hope that you uh, resonate with it, is that uh, as, as, well, going way back to 1975, I found myself in Nepal. Uh, it was planned, but I went as part of a college program. And I ended up, actually went sort of to study Eastern thought. I was a junior in college, so I was only 20 or 21. Anyway, so that's how I ended up in Nepal. And, and it's not so much about me, but the fact that uh, the monastery that I became affiliated with, Kopan Monastery, which is still operating today, was one of the two places that you could study Buddhism in, in, in English. <laughs> I say that kind of in quotes because there was nothing really translated in those days. Does anybody remember Gestetner machines? Yeah. So uh, we, that's how we would go and the Lama was going to teach such and such a thing tomorrow. And I would grab, now the translators... Uh, I say that also in quotes because Tibetans didn't really know much English. Uh, they didn't know English. So Lama Yeshe and Lama Zopra Mishche, the founders of the monastery, they did know English. And that's why these, these um, why they would hold these courses every, every November for a month, the November meditation course. And, and they've just done the 47th or 49th one. And, but, you know, their English was challenging. And so we would hear what they're going to talk about tomorrow. And we'd, but kind of grab one of the translators. I was responsible for training translators. And we get in these huge arguments with these guys because these translators who were learning English from me and from my, my team, they'd come and they translate. And he, in particular, this one guy, Tupin Sheriff, he would translate something and he'd use this really obscure word that none of us know what the word is. I wish I could think of an example. And, and I'd say, and afterwards, you know, we'd do a debrief. I said, I'd say, you know, Tupin Sheriff, you can't use the word obsequious that way because it doesn't, I don't even know what it would mean, but you know, I had to be the, the expert, right? And he'd say to him, no, 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 that's the correct way to use it. And no one knew what he was talking about. And so I said, no, it's not the right. We had this argument. So he said, he said, wait, okay, wait a minute, come here. I'll be back in a minute. So he comes back about five minutes later. He's got his Webster's dictionary in his hand and he points to the word, let's say it was obsequious, whatever the word, and the seventh definition under there was the correct one. And he says, see, you don't know English. <laughs> it's true. And he, I said, well, how do you know that? He says, well, I'm memorizing the dictionary. 
you believe it? Memorizing the data. These guys has a very, very astute, unbelievable power of memorization. So, so I stayed there a long time. I was there 12, 13 years. But the main point of the story is that I left in 1988. After that point, I spent, so I spent nine years with my teacher, Lama Yeshi. And if you get a chance, you might look him up at some point. The reason I bring him up is because he was very revolutionary. And what he instilled in us was that these teachings, which were, of course, uh, clothed in Eastern culture and Tibetan language and all the rituals, and it was very romantic and it's very exotic, you know. It, but the point he kept making, and it was really a profound point, is that these teachings are universal. Okay, he kept saying these are universal. So he said once once a, a team of uh, friend, colleagues of mine asked His Holiness Dalai Lama if he thought. It was, it was years ago, thought it was possible to bring Tibetan Buddhism to the West or to the modern world. And he said, well, leave the Tibetan with us. But uh, back, in the, back in the day, you know, until very recently, Tibetan Buddhism was Buddhism. You know, it's understood as a religion and a narrow system of thought, perhaps. And when you study uh, the hundred, and I, I haven't, but the hundred volumes the Buddha taught, and a couple hundred volumes of commentaries that were taught by the contemplatives and the scholars way back in the past. You have about 300 volumes of instructions and teachings. And I would it, it would be conservative for me to say that two-thirds of them are psychology. One could make an argument that all of them are psychology if you get pointed out as to how they are psychological. So that resonates for all of us because there's no one of us that has any problem with the idea of psychology. Oh, well, it might be someone, but not in this, not in this room, right? Generally speaking, psychology is uh, sort of the, you know, it's sort of the, it's replaced a lot of ways to work out problems, right? Uh, until not that long ago, if you had a problem, say, with your child was sick, what would you do? Or if you had a problem... Uh, you, you had a fire in your house, you know, you think about different cultures, what they did is they would go to the, to whoever was expert of the system of thought. So if your child was sick, then it, for, for one system of thought, it might be spirit interference, right? Another system of thought, it might be due to sin. Another thought, it might be due to karma. So based on those, those systems of thought, then you, have a, then you have an intervention for it, right? An exorcism, a purification, uh, herbal remedies, who knows what. So, so now it's kind of weird because we have this added way of dealing with problems, which is often referred to as psychology or psychotherapy. And uh, there's different ways we can talk about that. But the point is that uh, we're not talking about God. We're not talking about spirits. We're not talking animism at this point. You know, Tibet was very animistic. If there was a problem in the family or the, 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 the yaks were dying, they would make offerings to the local tree spirit or rock spirit, whatever, because that was their frame of reference of how to heal, how to deal with problems. Let's put it that way. How do you deal with problems? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, any ideas about any questions? <laughs> any comments? Should I keep going? Um, can I just 
say really quickly, we are recording the talk, um, but I just wanted to let everyone know. And if we do get into territory where it's more personal sharing, we might pause the recording. So we'll just kind of work together as a group on on this as we go. I was just about I was just about to ask who was abused in this group as a child, but now I won't. That was a joke. <laughs> so moving Bruna, if if we want to ask a question. Um, uh, maybe we can, well, since you can't see us, uh, maybe somebody can type a question into a chat or do their raise hand in the chat and then I can call out to Karuna that somebody has a question at that point, please. Yeah, I think when they speak, will they then come into my picture? We can do the test of the space bar. That's the mute one, but I'm talking about visually I see only six people. Right. So maybe someone uh, who's not in my view could say something. Do you see know. Heather? I do not see Heather. Do you see Kathleen? Kathleen, you just came up. Yeah, great. Okay, okay so when you speak, you will, that's great, so then I can interact. Okay. It, it does the yellow thing, right? It does the yellow, and it comes on my screen as well. Okay. Perfect. So I'm going to make you look at this slide for another 10 minutes. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay. So I have a question. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're, I'm curious, you're talking about, um, how Buddhism, it sounded to me like you were saying Buddhism is, is psychology or is the same as psychology. Mm, Maybe that's not what you were saying. Yes. Um, and I've, I've studied both, um, Buddhism a lot more in depth than psychology, uh -huh. but I've come to the conclusion recently that they're very different. And so I'm curious how you see them as as um the same or if i misunderstood what you were saying similar or related yeah okay related yeah right? okay that's not hard so uh, of course the the issue is that I, as i do a lot of classes uh different kinds of programs in the interaction in relationship between buddhist psychology and white psychology uh Can you so so jumping that, away, please, Bruna? yeah so I do a lot of programs and a lot of uh, in terms of uh, speaking about the interaction or interrelationship between Buddhist psychology and modern psychology. They're not the same at all. Um, and I'll touch on a little bit in these four classes. I probably won't go into it really in depth like I do in some programs. Uh, what I was, what um, I would say is, or what I was saying, and we'll get into it, is actually if you can hold your question for a little longer and see if I answer it, okay? But they, but I don't want to say that they're the same. Psych okay, let me put it this way. So Buddhism offers a complete psychology in terms of when we talk about psychology, we're talking about the mind, the study of the mind, psyche, mind, or spirit, and we're talking about the study of the mind. And so in um, Buddhist psychology, from my point of view. As you know, I'm also a licensed psychotherapist. I have a master's in clinical psych. Don't call myself an expert, though. You know, it's, but uh, when you talk about psychology and the study of the mind, absolutely, Buddha's thought offers an unbelievably complete, in-depth, very, very deep um, schema of how the mind functions. That's the context that I meant. I mean, that's context. But though, that presentation of the mind and mental disorders is not the same as modern psychology. But they are having a dialogue, so there are some similarities. 
Okay. So we're going to start at basic here. Okay. So we're starting basic at the basic level. I do this on, and it's really important because I'm not asking people to become Buddhist. That is not the point. But what we're talking about is, um, you know, we start at foundation is what are people, what are, what is it that people want? And I don't mean to sound uh, sort of simplistic. Okay. I'm starting simplistic, but we have to really take it because we're talking about this title of this course has something to do with the coronavirus or at least alluding to it. So what is it that people want? And I'll just speak for a minute, I guess. Um, so the fundamental, the foundation of where we start is that everybody wants the same thing. And we'll go as far as saying even the birds want the same thing that we do and the ants and the mosquitoes and the fish and the, uh, you know, all those creatures that have mind, okay, mind. If they have a mind, and so what we say is uh, what, what do beings really want and being the same thing is what? Happiness. Now, people go, well, how does a mosquito, <laughs> sorry, how does a mosquito want happiness, okay? So we, of course, we have to define our terms and that's why we, we, don't, we don't stay just on happiness and uh, we, have, we have to go deeper. So by this happiness, okay. So it's like Darwin said, what do you, survival, the fittest or whatever, but there is an, a, a fundamental survival instinct that all creatures have, okay? Don't you think? Is there, are there any exceptions to that? In other words, what we say is happiness uh, is that, you know, we, we can talk about what that means, but every creature has a sense of preservation of its own life. It does have that. If you hold, you know, if, you, if an ant are walking across and you put your hand down, you know, or something else, uh, a little bit of heat, they, they go away. Why? It doesn't make sense if they don't have some sense of self-preservation or some sense of you know, wanting to, to not feel pain, okay? So whatever the opposite of pain is, that's what we seek. And people often say to me, they always throw hard questions at you, right? They say, well, what about people who commit suicide, you know? And, or people who, you know, people cut themselves. And that's what they, I mean, we can still argue where they're looking for the same thing. It's not that the methods that we use usually aren't, are, are, not, are not effective at all. Even the ones, even the healthy ones we use are not that effective. But the, but the intent is the same for all of us, okay? Uh, so the idea is a sense of comfort, a sense of uh, pleasure, a sense of comfort, a sense of satisfaction, a sense of feeling good, whatever you want to talk about, every creature looks for that, okay? Every creature looks... Now... The methods for achieving it are very different. And of course, levels of intelligence and capacity is very different because, you know, it doesn't matter how many times I tell my dog that, you know, I'm out for the day. And if you get hungry, just go to the cupboard and it's not locked. Just open it up. It's down low for you. Grab a, a greenie and, you know, go you know, or feed yourself. Okay. You can't do it. Or you say, you know, often the example that the Tibetans use, they say, you know, no matter how many times I tell my dog to say, Om Mani Padme Hum, I don't think he ever listens to me. You know? So, you know, the capacities are different. You know, 
capacitors are different. So we, and also the skillful way when we get later into this course and talk about helping others, helping others is not a one size fits all. Okay. That's very, very important. It's, and, and I think some spiritual approaches and not to judge too harshly, but you know, it's like a one size or one or two approaches and then they get frustrated if they can't do that. Or like even for psychotherapists, you know, uh, if you're, if you're trained in dealing with, uh, substance abuse or addiction issues, sometimes it's very hard to step out of that modality of helping everyone with it. Everyone's got an addiction issue, right? Uh, what's that saying? If you get a, give a kid a hammer, everything becomes a nail. And it's frustrating for clients because what you're doing then is, is folding them into your mental model because we don't have much capacity. We have the potential for capacity, and that's what this is all about. So, yeah, so it is about happiness, and then I'm going to go I get too far into it because that's a big topic, okay? What does that mean? We'll have to talk about that. What does it mean in the Buddhist con and Buddhist psychology? Okay, very different. Maybe. So, in terms of happiness, this is where we get kind of get a little more detailed. So, we started together on happiness. Are we? We're in a, I think we're in agreement that that's what everyone looks for. Now, how to achieve it? How to accomplish it? And here we're going to go to um, what I think of, I think it's very interesting, is I think it's very interesting to ask people's philosophy. You're like, what's your life philosophy? What's your philosophy on, on how to be fulfilled? Okay. So I had, um, I used to do quite a bit of executive coaching over in Silicon, I'm not far from San Jose, Silicon Valley. So I, sorry, it still cracks me up. I asked one of my clients, you know, very, very successful uh, um, entrepreneur, CEO. And I asked him, I said, so I asked him that question. I said, so what's your philosophy? And he said, you can have it all. And by the way, you learn after some years not to overreact when people say things like that. Because as a Buddhist, it sounded like, okay, but I didn't. I was, you know, I learned over, you know, I've been made fool of myself too many times by overreacting. So I said, oh, you can have it all. I didn't challenge him. I wanted to know over the months and years what, what that was. What did he mean by that? And so I asked him like this. And so what's the definition? How do you know when you have it all? Right? And he said, when you can buy your own private jet, and it has to be the, the private jets that you can stand up in, because I guess there's some private jets that people get there, you have to stoop over. So that's kind of a, that's kind of a status symbol. So it has to be tall enough, to, uh, high enough to stand up in. And it should only... It should only, I hope you're writing this down, by the way, you guys. And it only, it only uh, uh, is, it only, what's the word I'm looking for? It only costs you 10% of your net worth. So, of course, I can't ask him, what, what are you worth, right? I mean, that'd just be rude. But I did ask him, oh, well, what, is, what does a jet like that cost? <laughs> and I think he said $40 million. So I had an idea what he was doing. So, he changed over years. He did change. He was not Buddhist. 
but just logic. All we have to do is be logical and analyze. So Buddhist psychology, why I say it's psychology and not so much religion, is there's not, you know, it's not really, it's not faith-based at all. It's not faith-based, it's logic-based. Of course, sometimes there you have to take leaps of faith so that you can, you know, expand your capacity and then, it, then your faith gets confirmed by logic, okay? So it's not that it's zero faith, but all faith that you want to generate can be backed up at some point by logic or experience, put it that way. So I think the people, we have to really analyze ourselves day to day, where are we looking for happiness? Now, uh, the other idea of happiness, maybe I could put it this way. Where do you look for happiness or where do you look to solve your problems? Okay. Where do you look to solve your problems? Take the coronavirus as a, a good example. And this is where we're going to diverge and it's going to be difficult for some, some, at some points. But do we deal with the coronavirus? The problem, sorry, not the coronavirus. The problems it's causing me. Do we deal with those externally as an Audi? Or do we deal with it internally? Okay. So, and it's not to deny the external world. I don't want you to think, oh, you mean we just don't do anything? No, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about very personally for you and me. I have, I think twice, once or twice, I think maybe just once, I don't, I'm not bragging, but uh, I mean, I'm just fortunate. I only got, I only got scared once in the beginning, you know, uh, and that was for a couple hours. And somehow I caught it and I used my things that people, and I've been learning and try to apply it. It's only lasted two hours, but there's people who are 24 hours, seven days a week who are, who are frightened right now, right? So that, that is what we're talking about, happiness, not happiness, okay? I'm not talking about the fact that in Santa Clara and Santa Cruz where I live, people are dying, people are saying, yes, you know? And, and, and we have an approach for that too, which also has to do with my own happiness, by the way. You know, it's kind of like Dalai Lama says, if you're going to be selfish, at least be wisely selfish. Okay. So what he means by that is, you know, we want to, you know, there's no reason to be, let's say there's every reason to be happy. That's, we're not advocating, you know, torture and asceticism and throw, sell all your possessions. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. We're talking about what is really happiness, non-happiness. And how do you approach them? Okay. So as we go more and more into this, when we're talking about problems, we have to define what the problem is. The problem of no water in many parts of the world is, you know, ultimately we would say even that's an inner problem, but that's not the level we're talking about. Okay. Okay. If there's no water in a village, you, you have to help them find water. We have a saying that if you meet a beggar along the road, don't teach him philosophy. You know, give them some food or money. But that doesn't have to do with philosophy. Philosophically, we never waver from our idea of what, of what is happiness, what causes happiness, what causes uh, problems, suffering. Okay? Are we all on the same page? Anyone want to comment? Dying to say something? No? Okay. Okay. Hear me? Oh, yeah. Hi, Chris. 
Oh, yeah, I gotta hold the space bar. Yeah, that's so you don't. That that's so we can mute you. Deeper, like we're pretty pretty dang deep already. <laughs> I can't help it. I I just is um I just wanted to identify with some of the things that you were discussing, uh, considering yeah. the Buddhism and the happiness, and stating that it's the finding your suffering right so the happiness being the lack of suffering and it takes identification to find that item that you're suffering from so for example if it was um not having water in the village you know you identify that as the issue and then um take forth from there you know right. and using the tools of meditation and insight and so forth to deal with that and the mindfulness of of equanimity during these difficult times and like the coronavirus time, especially is of being having that equanimity in these difficult uh, situations of still having gratitude for the things around you, you know, right. they, and even gratitude of identifying your suffering. Like yeah. you should be grateful that you were able to do that at all. And so uh, being ahead of the game and having that mental mindset definitely helps that. And, and Buddhism is an, an awesome tool to do that. Uh, and just quickly on the religion thing that I find fascinating is uh, is how it's debated as a religion or a school of thought and ethics. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. Be, I know that maybe the common debate across the world in Mahayana and Theravada Buddhism and et cetera. But uh, yeah. uh, just an interesting subject. I wanted to bring that up and before we got yeah, deep it's one, it's and, an, since I, I let me comment on that for a second because it's it, one of my one of my affections is that topic. So Buddhism started uh, 25, 2600 years ago and was founded by an ordinary man. Well, depending on who, but anyway, the story is that he was uh, a wealthy prince and his father was, um, had gotten a prediction that if he didn't sort of cluster his son, his son would end up leaving and become under sex thing. So he tried to hide the world from him for many years, and then eventually saw the world. And um, if you so anyway, and then he had this discovery over six years after six years of of searching, he had the discovery of awakening. Sometimes you call it enlightenment, you call it Buddhahood. All these things. We're going to talk about that because that's not. I really, really want to stress that's not something. I mean, it's an exalted, profound state of being, but it is the sort of birthright of all of us. It's not reserved for, you know, llamas and monks and, you know, any human being, probably not animals, it's unlikely, but any human being, we have this, we have this equipment, as Lama Yesh used to say, to attain a very, this high, higher way of, way of being. I also want to qualify it so it's not too unclear. It's very, very important to understand this higher state of being, it's not either or. It's not either I'm, I'm a mess like me, or I'm, you know, a Buddha or like Siddhartha or the Dalai Lama or something. It's not either or, okay? What happens is this is a path. So that's why we can even talk about in terms of the psychotherapeutic context is that when one moves towards awakening and becomes awakened or Buddha, that's a path. It's a process. And it can be measured. And, you know, even amongst people I know, you can kind of get a feeling of, you know, he's not there. You can't say exactly because you can't read someone's mind. But, you know, you see that people are at different, different levels. And that's very encouraging because that means we can improve. And the improvement that happens is lasting. It's not superficial. 
It's not temporary, but it takes time and it does take work. The payoff is great, but it's not for the faint of heart. Okay. You have, it's not for everybody. I mean, at this moment. So what happened, the comment Chris I was going to make was that, um, so from this little place in, in India, it spread out over 2,600 years. It went to Sri Lanka. It went as far east as Sumatra and, and Indonesia. It went as far west as Afghanistan, maybe even further. As far north as Russia, China, Korea, Japan. And if you look and you go to these places, not that I've been to all of them or just very few of them, the Buddhism you find is Buddhism. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, if you go to Sri Lanka, it's very devotional. Yeah, my theory is it's because the culture, the mindset of the people are more devotional. You go to Tibet, where it was animistic, you know, it kind of inherited this animistic quality. Go to China, and I don't, I'm really kind of getting out of my depth here, but China and Japan, which had sort of the, the, the prevailing system of thought there was sort of kind of intellectual, you know, Taoism. And what, so then it integrated with Taoism. So, and now what we're seeing is look at us. So now it's moving into the modern world, and the system of thought that dominates us is not Christianity, it's not theistic, it's not Judaic. It's not animistic. It's not devotional. It's not Hindu or Brahmanic, like Sri Lanka is. What is it? It's science. It's science. That's our belief right now. When you look at how to solve a problem, we go to science. I'm not saying it's complete or anything, but that's where we're headed more and more. So we're materialists. So now what is Buddhism doing? You look at psychology. And it's going to Buddhist psychology and Buddhist philosophy and Buddhist techniques, mindfulness can integrate now with our mindset. So I think that's the beauty of Buddhism. Not that it goes to change the culture, but to go to uh, uh, integrate. Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to say results based. You know, yeah. this is uh, exactly what you're talking about. And you apply these tools and you get results. I don't know anybody in any of my Sangha or people that I hang out with who use Buddhism uh, to help them um, will state that it's not results-based, that yeah. their life hasn't become better because of it. And so, yeah, that's a very scientific um, side of it for sure. Yeah, and you don't have to become Buddhist. That's the beauty. You know, if you're real, I mean, in, 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 a, in a conventional sense, if you're very... Whatever, if you're very uh, connected with Christianity or psychology or therapy, you don't have to become Buddhist. You, you just bring what you, works for you and you leave the rest behind. I, I really want to make that clear. I mean, I'm Buddhist because at a certain point, you know, I didn't have, I, it just wasn't a question for me. But, but my parents were very kind because I wasn't raised in any religion. So I didn't have, I mean, I was really, yeah, I wasn't really raised. So it was very, they were very open-minded. So it allowed me to transition. Uh, I was very young. I was only 20. Okay. Okay. So happiness. We're clear on that for the moment. Karuna, yeah. we had a, a question in the chat and it said, isn't happiness a state of mind? Yes. That's where we're going. So the coronavirus out there, <coughs> the way we think of it out there is not a state of mind. It's a thing, right? It's, it's, a, it's a material thing. It's a material, atomic, molecular thing. I mean, <laughs> of course, sorry. I'm talking at, you know, simple level. Of course, as we get into philosophy more, then we're going to, might be harder to find it. But, but 
but so yes so lauren or the person so happiness is a state of mind and we're going to go more into that let's see what the next slide says i don't even remember oh here we go is that covered up the slide or you can see it see it okay because i can't see it uh lauren can you read it out loud please yeah, the nature of mind. Of course, the human mind has both positive and negative sides, but the negative is transient, very temporary. Your up and down emotions are like clouds in the sky. Beyond them, the real basic human nature is clear, uh, clear and pure. And that's Lama so Tupin Yeshe. Yeah, so that was my, my teacher, Lama Yeshe. So that has everything in it. Um, that's unusual. That's not something we hear, even in modern psychology, you know, um, when you, when you, uh, if, if you go to Korea, Japan, Tibet, any, any Buddhist country where you, at least if you ask a scholar or someone who's learned and you ask him or her, what's the mind? They all have the same definition. Okay. It's very, very profound. So you can have a conversation with a Korean Buddhist or a Japanese Buddhist or a Sri Lankan Buddhist, you know, but in modern psychology, not yet. There's no agreed upon definition of mind, which is, I won't get too heavy about that because that's another class, but, but there's not agreed definition on, of what mind is. If, if you're a psychologist, you're a student of the mind, right? Psychology, a student of the studier of the mind, but we don't have, that's good. We should all be psychologists, right? But, it, but what the problem is, is for the professionals, those of us in the profession who are so-called experts, which is why I don't call myself an expert, we don't have an agreed definition of the mind. So that's, that's a different class. It's a different discussion. If you want to get into it, I can get into it in one of them. But here we got with Lam Yesh, is the basic human nature is clear and pure. So when we talk, so we don't in general even know that the emotions, positive, negative, are temporary. I mean, we don't, I mean, if we think about it, we go, okay, yeah, okay, I get that. But that, that itself gives a lot of hope and confidence in that we can do something about it. You see? If it's temporary, then you can do something. If it's permanent, unchanging, you can't change something that's unchanging. Okay? Now, the bottom part about the real basic human nature is clear and pure. That is, that is an, uh, an attribute of the mind. And guess what? We all have a mind. So in the, just, you know, in a, in a very brief way, our goal to become healthy is to be more and more in that clarity and purity. And that's 100% possible. And that has uh, a lot of qualities to it. It has a quality of wisdom. It has, qual- it has effects, maybe put it that way. It has a quality of wisdom. It has effect of compassion. It has an comp- effect of understanding, effect of patience, all these qualities and virtues. The more we're can- connected or can-, can identify with our basic human nature, then the healthier we are in terms of what we would call Buddhist healthy, or you know, which what, we don't even have a definition yet, do we? So we don't have agreement yet what it means to be healthy. Okay? So what's the problem? Is it out there or in here? Okay. 
So just to be honest with ourselves, let's just use this, this coronavirus. Is the problem out there or in here? Is it internal or external? I'll do a little prompting or provocation. I'm guilty of this more than anybody probably. To figure out the coronavirus and the solution, I watch the news. Okay. I read and see what has the curve flattened. Where are they at on a vaccine? Where are they at on a um, on the stay-at-home orders? Okay, right? Is anyone is that what people do? Most part. So that means we're looking for the solution out there. Again, it doesn't mean that we that's irrelevant. It has. We're talking about mindset here or perception. So if we can get the curve to flatten, then I'll be happy. You see what I'm saying? I'm going back to that earlier slide. What, what word will you use? I'll be happy. I'll be safe. I'll feel secure. Oh, we'll go back to normal. All those things are my definition of happiness. If only we get back to normal, we'll be, I'll be happy. Correct? So that's not, that's not what, we don't suggest that as your, our default mode, even though it is. Okay. The change happens. The change happens. The spirit, you know, what I call a spiritual person is someone not religious. A spiritual person is someone who begins to access that internal potential. So they're going, you know, this coronavirus is, is a problem, but where the problem exists mostly is in my fear is in my perception of it. It's in my, uh, uh, hoarding, you know, it's in my attachment to God. I mean, tonight, I forgot to, you know, I've got to go to the store because I don't have any pizza. And then you got to think about the pizza. And they think, oh, I don't have a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. It's so stupid. Whatever. You see, that's all mental stuff. That's all mental stuff. This is where we're working now in this class. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about how we go out and, and find the vaccine. That, that's not my job, you know. But, but I am going to think about how we can reduce problem level of it yeah pamela la la oh pamela la la that's me (laughs) yeah did you want to say something no i was accidentally accidentally unmuted my apologies for the disruption no that's okay no disruption uh just trying to get this on the track so i'm really working hard that we uh, go on a, uh, what the track we're trying to get on. Does it, am I over, am I over talking it? Because the track I want to go on, and it's not, is this one, this one, where to go? Where to go? That one. Okay. So Karina, I have a question. Yes. So I, have studied Buddhism for a long time and I get the happiness is inside and not outside and like all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and logically I'm there, but then in my, like, it's just for me, it's like, we talk about, Oh, if just this were different, then I would be happy. Yeah. And I know that that's not valid sort of intellectually, but then it's like, I had a terrible roommate and I moved out and wow, I got a lot happier or I had a really mean boss 
and they quit and now wow I'm a lot happier so it's like you know even though intellectually I know that's not the case like I see it in my life and I also see the opposite too Mm. as well which is why I know that it's that's not the cause because I have a really great boss and sometimes I'm unhappy you know but it's like so it doesn't always match up so like how do we how do we work with that where like you're in a bad situation that seems to be causing a lot of unhappiness that situation ends and then you're unhappiness list and now you're happy how do you not like attack you know what I mean how do you remember and like plant the seed that that's not it does that make sense yeah so we're going to define happiness okay. we, haven't, we haven't fully defined it uh, and that's that's a leap also um so maybe we can do that now i don't know you know i don't can't remember the order of my slides oh so that's a pretty good one huh what does it say i can't read the writing the print out there is no real control oh yeah out there is okay so right so that can speak also to, to one angle of what you're speaking about lauren uh we have this myth we have this conception, and you, we really have to work with it a lot, that we can control the outer environment, and it's in the control of the outer environment that happiness comes. And I'm not, of course, you tell anybody, no, no, I know that's true. I'm not talking about intellectually. We've got to go deeper. We've got to go to instinct. And instinct tells us, if I can get rid of the external provocation, the external condition, okay, so you're making me jump way ahead, which is fine. So when we talk about how problems exist, your bad boss is a condition. Okay? Sometimes you got to fix the condition. I understand. But if you think or we think that that's the solution, then we're wrong. Okay? We're talking about long term. We we're looking for happiness or a state of mind that's everlasting, not that comes up and down and up and down. So the next time you have a bad boss, you're back where you are, right? Yeah. So that's, that's why we talk about the inner thing is the solution. Cause that's, again, you got to move the outer guy. You got to move the guy out and then you got to move the next guy out and then you got to move the next guy out. And you know, it's like slow drivers in the fast lane. I can't believe they always show up in front of me. I thought I got rid of them, you know, but they, but they show up. I think it's just some weird conspiracy that they got against me, right? So, so that's where we're going now. And we, I hope I, in these four meetings, we're going to talk about, well, what actually creates that bad boss? You know? So it's perspective. But that's not what – okay. And I'm not going to go into this too much, but we will go into this. So when that bad boss or when that tornado – comes in or when that coronavirus or when that all of that is seen incorrectly you don't see your boss correctly and neither do i by the way you know right we see him as we what the way we see him is what we think he really is so the solution and that's what we do with everything whether it's the coronavirus or the slow driver in the fast lane or we get sick and we get some so any all these states of mind all have to do with certain disturbing emotions in us right they're they're inside but is your preference to always have to get rid of the bad boss or is your preference to be totally cool with whoever's in the room and not only that uh as we get more advanced we actually use all those difficult situations to become more and more healthy and happy 
think of that. So it's not just, it's not just a matter of being cool and calm. Okay. Cool and calm doesn't lead to this level of happiness that we're talking about. Ultimately speaking, you still have to work harder at it because there's, there's going to be some circumstances. What about when we die? Are you cool and calm when you die? Should be, we should be. It's another time. You know, so, so those are some of the instances, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but that's just if we can talk on that foundation. You can bring that up again through these weeks, okay? Yeah. So, of course, sorry. So what do we do about this tornado? Can there be control of the internal with that? Can't control the external, can we? Okay, can we control the internal? Can people raise their hand if they say, yes, you can control the internal, even in a tornado? Yeah. Okay, I tell, often tell the story of my, my, my other teacher, Lama Zopa Rinpoche. Lama Yeshi was still alive then, but Lama Zopa Rinpoche and uh, Lama Yeshi were teaching in Boston in the, at, that, at that period, a long time ago. And the director had a, had a house out on one of the lakes. My, I don't know if it was Walden Pond, but it was out in that area. So they went out for the weekend to... Um, to uh, just relax, you know, have a little bit of a break. And it was pretty hot, so they decided to go for a swim in the pond or the lake. And they're all, I don't know, six or seven of them are going in and, and they're swimming around. And someone said, you know, kind of like, well, where's Lama Zopa? Anyone see, does anyone see Rinpoche around? And they're looking around, they don't see. And then Tim, my friend, the director, he looked way kind of out there and there's a hand. There's no, just a hand above the water going like this. That means in, in Asia, for those of it means come, <laughs> come here. You don't go like this and, you know, you go, come, right? And he's under the water with just the hand coming up. So, so Tim, you know, rushed over to save him. And he was drowning. And uh, he saved him. And Rimshay came out and just kind of started laughing and giggling. No panic. No panic. So, yes, it is possible to stay calm in the midst of a tornado or death, or death. Okay, that's our goal. That's cool. I mean, that, what's that like, you know? Okay. Um, okay, is that okay, you guys? Okay. Pamela has a question. So just, Pamela, just unmute yourself if you is have a question. Pamela, Pamela, la, la. That's me. <laughs> I just want to say how grateful I am for this class. This is exactly the stuff I'm working on right now. I've been in trauma therapy for 33 months. I've made incredible oh. progress because of COVID-19. What oh. an incredible opportunity to hey, reframe yeah. abandonment. What an incredible opportunity. Wow, right? you, have to write, you have to write that up. Dude, you don't even yeah. know. Like yeah, this sure. week, we've been I've been talking about this very thing. Wow. How do you resolve the five, or even if you count that sixth one of distance, how do you resolve those five love languages? Which are, which are dependent on an external cause. Oh. It's the Buddhist belief, my belief, that I'm striving to get to and will achieve, I just keep backsliding temporarily, yeah. that to truly love means to not possess, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just been a fantastic and brutal couple of weeks. Brutal. And your class yes. is incredibly timely. Thank you. I, I'm glad you said brutal. Well, not glad you said brutal, but <laughs> it's hard work, right? You have to do the work, right? Yeah, when I told her that, no, 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 reframe the word hard. It's a yeah. challenge, and I can get there. 
Yeah, and sometimes it's hard and we cry and we get despondent and we get lonely and then, but you gotta go on. You gotta go on. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so Pam La La. Thank you, Pam La La. <laughs> I don't know. So do people know what the DSM-5 is? I think people do. Huh. It's uh, the, the Diagnostic that- Statistical man- Manual. Sorry. Diagnostic st- Statistical Manual. It's the fifth version. And it's where all the, uh, in modern psychology, it's where all the di- mental disorders are listed. I think there's 294, but there's subcategories and things like that. Don't worry about the number because in, sometimes they say in Buddhism, there's 84,000. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, so anyway, so psychiatric help. So, um, yeah, there they are. That just means, so the disorders, they've increased over the years, 297. Um, no, I, I, that's not the final. Yeah, this is the final number because the DSM-5 was not, was not uh, it was not published in 1994. It was published, anyone knows, in 2002 or something like that? 2005? I don't remember. And they kept the number around 297 because there was some enlightened board member that said, no, 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 we're not going to make it more. But, you know, because it just keeps increasing. But anyway, that's, that's how we call, sort of identify uh, emotional problems within uh, modern context. It's not... There's a relationship, of course, between those and um, and Buddhist uh, d- mental disorders. So I don't, I don't want. I just was bringing this up because it's a, it's the way it's approached. Although <clears throat> it is interesting with these mental disorders. There was one therapist. I think there was one psychologist. Is it Heather? Are you a therapist? No, I'm not. Okay, so, someone I thought was. Um, my, again, I'm not going to do that class right now when I get on my soapbox and I start talking about Western and modern psychology. But my one thing I will say about this, te- this book, which is bothersome, is that there's, there's a very comprehensive list and explanation of the mental disorders, but I could never find in there where is the explanation of order, only disorders. So there's no benchmark. There's no definition of what, what it means to be healthy. And that's scary. I mean, to me, scary. But anyway, I digress. So what do we mean about difficult emotions? So what was the title of this class? It's uh, Overcoming Difficult Emotions. Uh-huh. So what is a difficult emotion? Okay. So uh, again, in, in modern psychology, we have a, a sort of a description, maybe what a difficult emotion is. Um, we're not going to spend time there exactly other than we'll go to the Buddhist psychology is a disturbing emotion. <coughs> it's, this is very weird. It upsets the balance of the mind. Okay. It creates an unhappy state and it distances us from our potential. Remember the beginning or towards earlier slides, Lam Yeshi's, uh, clean and pure. Yeah, we have to study that. We study that. What is that? What is that clean and pure state of mind? That's a big topic, but it gives us energy, right? And then why aren't we there? Because of these disturbing emotions, okay? We can get more technical about it, but 
but just for the moment. So, <clears throat> so that's kind of how um, we judge. Uh, we would say a healthy person has a healthy mind. A healthy mind is a mind where the disturbing emotions or, yeah, are less rampant, less prevalent, less frequent. And then, you, you know, emotions got like, we got like this, we also got like this, right? I mean, like right now, probably also sort of somewhere in here, maybe we're getting a little tired, a little bored, whatever, you know, but we're not really pissed off, okay? We're not really terrified, okay? Those are when they get stronger. Um, but we, we believe that any of this is still not ideal. But the first thing we work on is this, those big guys or girls, okay? Those big ones like, uh, Lauren, can you read that? Because my screen is covered. Yeah, this takes us to the Buddhist beginning. The entire situation is in the nature of being problematic. Everything is in the nature of dissatisfaction, never content, but it doesn't need to be. Okay, so this is important. Um, so when Buddha attained his awakening, obviously like he was liberated from problems and confusion and unhappiness and all this stuff. So what happened? What did he do then? Does anyone know? So he was asked. Well, you know, people could tell he he attained and, uh, something. The, the Bodhi tree. Yeah, after the Bodhi tree, he attained enlightenment. What did he do then? Do you remember? Uh, he decided to spread the message to all the peasants, or whatever. Not yet. He took he took a seven week sabbatical. What happened was. Of course, that state is beyond words. It's beyond, because it's beyond concepts, right? To be beyond concept doesn't mean to be beyond the mind, right? Oh, no, you're not right. I'm sorry. To be beyond concept does not mean beyond the mind. Concept is not all of mind. But what he attained was beyond concept. You can't put it. It's like when you fall in love and I ask you, well, oh, tell me about it. What, what is it? <laughs> you know, you can't, we can't even define, explain to someone what something tastes like. Have you noticed that? Or if, tell me what, what is the smell of a rose? It's impossible. So people write poetry about roses or love and, and chefs try to describe the taste, but you, you know, you can describe a taste as salty, but it doesn't, it's not experiential, is it? It's conceptual. Okay. It can be based on your experience, but still conceptual. So Buddha attained the state beyond concept. And so the first thing he did was he said to himself, something like, I paraphrase, no one's going to understand this. Not only no one is going to understand it, but it can't be explained. And so there's these disciples he had or, or, or <coughs> other, other practitioners said, come on, tell us what, what's going on. You know, what did you learn? What did you discover? And he just stayed silent for seven weeks. Just wandered around. And I can't remember exactly what got him to speak. I mean, they were pleading with him. And I think he, out of his great compassion, of course, then he taught. So when he taught, what was the first, I keep asking these questions. I don't, 
the, maybe the rhetorical or just what was the first? Well, I can ask Chris. What was the first thing he taught? Do you remember? The first set of teachings? I don't. Four Noble Truths. Four Noble Truths. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So, like, what a downer. Okay. Four Noble Truths. The first truth is the truth of suffering. I mean, we don't start there, do we? Generally, in our life, you know, we don't. We don't start with the truth of suffering, I think, because it seems like such a bummer and we don't understand it properly. But Buddha taught the truth of suffering. Why? Why did he cheat? And I'm sorry, there's other words we could try discovering besides suffering. Suffering is is not a great word. I think the problem is our our English language. We don't have a good word for this this thing. Uh, Truth of suffering, I, I just translate loosely as the truth of problems. Okay. The truth of problems, meaning we're never free of problems. And we think we are. Okay, so Lauren thinks that she's free of the problem of her boss. And then the next thing that happens is her car breaks down on the way to her new job with her better boss. The next thing that happens in her better boss is turns out that he gets fired because he was embezzling. Uh, But he's a nice guy. And then she has a good boss, but the guy next to her in the other office plays his music too loud or is always trying to flirt with her and wouldn't leave her alone. It's just like that is what Buddha meant. But I want to say something. There are times of equanimity or, you know, when they're not so bad. So when it's not so bad, when you're relatively content, uh, and we won't go into it today, but when you're relatively content, that is still in the nature of suffering from Buddhist point of view. It's still, now suffering, we could talk about lack of control. Okay. I think lack of control is a much better way of saying it. We have not having control means we're not happy in the Buddhist articulation of what freedom means. So happiness in Buddhism means freedom. Okay. As long as we don't have control, we're not free. Okay. And so, so for example, let's just play around with this. So you we hear about the the coronavirus. And and we get to the point where yeah, it is a state of mind, you know, if I I'll just, so then I say to you, okay, everybody from now on you're just just be happy. <laughs> or be problem free, okay? Don't go up and down. Don't be up and down. Okay? Everyone agrees to that, right? I know you do. Okay, everyone agrees to that. Um, but we don't have, well, does anyone have that control? Does anyone? I mean, I don't think so. We get more and more control, of course. That's why we practice. That's why, but without practice, uh, I, I've asked many people, I say, well, you know, what is, what is the happiest thing in your life? And they, when were you the happiest? And they talk about it. And I say, well, what's that mood like? And they talk about the mood, that happy mood. And I say, okay, just stay there now, okay? And then you don't need to come see me as a therapist. And then they come back the next week. I don't know why. Right? That's, that is a really easy way to understand why Buddha taught the truth of suffering, what, what he meant by it, okay? We don't have control, Okay? And that lack of control goes on many levels, even to the level. Okay, so 
through practice, we can develop a very steady mind. Um, uh, sorry, through practice of meditation, uh, mindfulness, we can get pretty steady and pretty calm. But there's a deeper, then we go to another level where we don't have control. Okay. Maybe it's we don't have control over our death. Okay. Maybe we don't have control over our sleep. Maybe we don't have control over our, our uh, eating habits. Okay. But the ultimate control is when you attain this liberation or this awakening, which I told you takes a long time. And it's a process. So even getting part of the way there is, is unbelievably special and beautiful. You know, the process is good. And it's hard sometimes, of course. But the process is, is uh, rewarding. Okay. I have a question. If, um, okay. Now's a good time to ask. Sure. So you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, happiness being a state of mind and it's, you know, we have this inner control, but at the same time, we can't just choose to be happy. That's not in our capacity at this time, right? I can't just decide I'm going to be happy all the time. Right. And I just see so much stuff around, like posted on Facebook, like, happiness is a mindset and you know what I mean? Just like kind of those pop psychology, like oh, yeah. uh, spiritual bypass stuff. And I just think it's so harmful because people either feel like they're doing something wrong because they can't just be, be happy or like it also like diminishes the real suffering that's happening and the real suffering that people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And if you're just, you could just choose to be happy. So why, why wouldn't you? So I was just wondering if you could comment on how, like, us as Buddhists slash psychologists slash, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but you know what I mean? Like, how can we, like, like, share that understanding and also challenge kind of that, like, quick 20-second Facebook world that is probably not helping a lot of people? Yeah. So, uh, hopefully, we'll get deeper into that um, because it can sound... One part of your question is that, you know, you, well, you could, <clears throat> excuse me, we could construe what I've been saying as sort of very self-centered. Yeah. You know, my happiness and I'll, I'll be peaceful and I'll be, a, but, and I just can't, we can't say everything in one talk, right? But when we delve into more how we get there, the way we get there is by looking after others. So the pop psychology fixes the, the, the McMindfulness world is such that um, there's a lot of self-centeredness in it. And the reason uh, even they, even sometimes it's expressed as Buddhism or Buddhist psychology is because it doesn't go, people didn't go deep enough into the, into the real philosophy and psychology. You know, people take, Sorry for being critical, but anyway, judgmental. You know, people take what feels good and sounds good, and then they run with it. Um, uh, that same client I was telling you about who said he could have it all, he, he has a lot of books on his shelf, and he reads like three of them. And I, and I asked him why. And he said, because after the second chapter, they don't say anything new. You know, so, and I, of course, it's a vast judgment of, on his part. But point is that we, I think what, I would like to think that's different for me is I just can't accept uh, a surface level approach. And maybe I'm too intense sometimes. 
So the happiness that we're talking about is this a fulfillment. It's, 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 a, it's fulfillment long-term. It's control. And the weird thing, so when we get into the philosophy more, it, it, the, the problem is how we see ourselves and how we see the world, and we don't see them correctly. And one of the byproducts of seeing ourselves correctly and the world correctly, the byproduct, is you just are focused on others. Happiness. So it's not a, it's not a self-serving, giddy kind of, you know, positive, what do they call Positive affirmations, <laughs> you know, that's okay. But that, what we're talking about is a change of the mind and the change of the mind is not fast. Uh, one way to talk about it is, you know, in terms of the neural pathways, we spend our whole life creating neural pathways that told me that, you know, Diet Coke was, is a thing that's going to make me, you know, I need Diet Coke and, or cigarettes to make me calm down or running. I mean, running or exercising, that's a better one. So those neural pathways from when we were young said exercise, wow, I got the result, the result, and now they're so embedded. So how long does it take to start? And then you get an insight that we're talking about, this level of insight. And then it doesn't change, right? Insight doesn't change anything. That's the problem. We need insight. We do need insight. But it's not typically a long-term change. It can be, but typically, typically it's not. It can be. So most insight, what we need then is to cultivate it. Okay? So because we, we've got to retrain our brains out of those ruts of the neural pathways that say exercise is what I need. It's hard, man. I mean, I have clients who, who I mean, all of us are stuck in our habits. I went, did I give too long of an answer for your question? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I'm glad what you brought I was thinking about is how Pamela was talking about her experience and how it's been really brutal. And I feel like a lot of the practice and a lot of the changing of our mind is really brutal too. So it kind of, when we just say happiness is your mindset, and I know that's not what you're, what you are saying right now in this class, but it's like what I see in kind of the general world and the mindfulness world. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's really brutal. And so it like glosses over all of that. All I would say what tends to be, um, they can't maintain it. But on the other hand, some people are positive. I mean, they're just, their personality is positive and upbeat. So, you know, that, that I'm not, I'm not criticizing them. I, I'm more of the, yeah. But anyway, that, that even short-term upbeat positive is better than being depressed. But the question is what, what will it last or not last? And we hope it does, but usually it makes something much deeper work, deeper work like Pamela was saying. Okay. My belief. These are just my beliefs. You got, everyone should go check on their own. Don't, don't have to believe me. I should have said that in the beginning. I'm just sharing my beliefs and my experience, but it doesn't do any good without you getting your experience. And then you'll have your own way of describing it. That's the beauty of this. So in light of that, Lauren, um, uh, 
to really change the mind out of the habits is uh, we talk about listening, reflecting, and integrate or meditating, but we need to be more clear about that. So you can't change things if you don't know about the information. That's why we study. That's why we listen. That's why we educate. Uh, you can't know that we're in the nature of problems if you don't hear that. And then someone explain it to you because it doesn't sound very, very uh, normal. You know, it sounds pretty negative. But then you study it and people explain, well, we mean it this way. We mean it that way. Or meditate or, you know, how to meditate. Well, why? Listen first. Educate yourself. Okay. Then reflect over these ideas. Mull it over. Reflect. Okay. Then meditate. So what does meditation mean? It doesn't mean what most people think, right? I don't know what, I mean, it seems in the culture these days. So meditation, uh, the means the Tibetan word and Sanskrit word for meditate actually means to become familiar. If you're not becoming familiar, you're not meditating. And most of us don't meditate. We, we might reflect or we might concentrate. So is concentration meditation? No. And that's all we hear about. Well, not all. We hear about mindfulness. But we, you know, usually like, like focus on your breath. That's meditation. It's not meditation. Okay, that doesn't make it, it can be meditation. Focusing on your breath is what are you becoming familiar with? Mindfulness, what are you becoming familiar with? What are you learning? Okay, are you becoming familiar with, you know, how much you love chocolate ice cream and you can't wait to have some when you finish? Are you actually a lot of mindfulness when I talk to people is becoming familiar with pleasure, pleasant states of mind. I mean, that's better than negative states of mind or painful states of mind. But is it, does it lead to training the mind? Maybe. It depends on what kind of pleasure they're talking about. Okay. So usually it, people become more and more familiar with feeling good. We don't want anyone feeling bad, but we have to really look at the feeling good that they're training themselves in. Is that a feeling good that's sustainable? Or is it a feeling good that's like feeling good when you have sex or when you take, you know, get stoned or have a drink? You know, if you're just doing it for feeling good, you might as well drink or smoke or eat, right? So, of course, mentally feeling good is better than mentally feeling bad. I'm not saying, but we have to really look at the quality of that and the degree of, uh, of uh, clinging to it and, you know, sort of like an addictive quality to it. Uh, It's really, it really happens sometimes if we don't train our mind properly, then we don't do very good. And if we lose our patience because I just need my calm. Okay. I just need my, that thing that happened some years ago uh, that um, was the therapy, you know, came up a lot about, I just need my space. Okay. I just need my space. So, okay, you know, and then what happens is when they don't have their space, I'm one, I'm one of those too, by the way, you know, I don't have my space and I get really irritated because my kids, when they're young, my space, you guys are supposed to be in bed now. It's nine o'clock. Now it's my time. <laughs> it's like that. So we have to be careful even, even then. And so what is a common denominator to so listen, reflect, integrate, 
So meditation means to become familiar with, and really what it is, is it, it really meditation should lead to experience. So if we talk about the truth of suffering, we're going to talk about, I mean, let's see, we're going to educate ourselves. What, is, what does Karuna mean by that? What did the Buddha mean by, by truth of suffering? Let me look and read a little bit about that. That's first. And then you think about it. And you think, well, and by the way, when we, when we reflect, this, it's good if it includes doubt. It's good, because that's how we learn. But we call it doubt leaning towards belief. Does that make sense? Not doubt leaning towards, so doubt leaning to disbelief is skepticism, you're not gonna wanna, you know, you wanna prove that it's not right. This is belief, this is uh, um, doubt leaning towards belief, meanings. It'll force us into examining and analyzing. We want that. If it doesn't stand up to analysis, then you move on. It's not worth it. Okay? If it stands up to analysis or logic, great. You have to logically approach it. And if you logically approach it with a slight sense of doubt, that's, that's even better. Because it'll make you open to kind of, it'll, it, it, it trains the mind to dig deeper. Okay? And then you're, you're, okay, truth is suffering, and then you've mulled it over, you thought about it for, I don't know, a couple months, a couple years, you know, a couple weeks, a couple days, and you look at it, and then that still is not understanding suffering. It's still conceptual, intellectual. What we're going for is a third one. We're going for experience. So very advanced meditators, even not advanced meditators, but people like you and me sometimes, we just get all of a sudden, it's like there's no thought. I mean, like we don't even know how it happens. And all of a sudden, it's like someone like parted the curtain for a second and you see, oh my God, yeah, that's what's meant by suffering or some other insight. There's thousands. And by the way, in this philosophy, there's a lot of them, a lot of these things we have to learn, truth of suffering, uh, impermanence, uncertainty, death, this precious human life, uh, karma, dependent arising. There's a whole plethora. There's a lot of things. We approach each of those topics like I'm talking now. And you don't have to choose this topic. I mean, you don't have to choose one that you don't like. It doesn't resonate. Uh, there's one in our practice about uh, all all living beings having been our mother. And that's one of our practice. <laughs> that one I have a hard time with. So I, you know, I do something else sometimes. That one I can't, it's sometimes hard to connect with. So you can go to something else. That's fine. There's enough to, enough to educate ourselves about. There's enough to reflect on and there's enough to meditate on. But what happens in meditation is this idea of suffering. For example, you've molded over and even meditate, contemplate on all these talk, you know, like you, you, you you think about it, and it's like you're meditating on it, but then all of a sudden there's an aha. Okay? That aha, then you focus on it. Without thinking, conceptual, uh, and, you, and by the way, it'll disappear pretty quickly at first. It's really hard, because what happens right, right away, oh, wow, that's amazing. Wow, maybe I'm attaining enlightenment now. <laughs> you know? Or maybe I figured this out. Oh, that's, I'm never going to, you know, that chatter starts. That's concept. So no, you need to stay in the experience. And experience is non-conceptual. It's experiential, especially to put it. And, and guess why we can't stay there? Because we can't concentrate. So now you develop your part of you, 
that watches the breath or some other way to get your mind more focused. So they all integrate, but it's not about, the goal is not to be able to just concentrate. People ask, Beth Lama's open, my teacher said, what, what do you think about mindfulness, Rinpoche? And he, you know what his answer is? Mindfulness of what? So we say, people who train as snipers are extremely mindful, very concentrated. So just mindfulness, we can't say. It's mindfulness of what? And we're talking about here mindfulness of these, of these um, topics that lead to insight. And I have many friends, they've been meditating on their topics. It seems, I can't judge, but it seems what they say. Many, meditating on these topics for years and years, and it hasn't seemed to have gone beyond the conceptual. But that's okay. It still brings change. What brings lasting change is we've got to get into the non-conceptual, the experiential. You can experience. The experience of suffering, what Buddha taught, is different than everything we're talking about. Because remember, it's, it's non-conceptual, so it's, even Buddha couldn't put it into words. But if you put it into words and you create all these signposts and all these diagrams and all these, but the sign is not the destination, is it? It says, says Santa Cruz. Doesn't mean we're, you know, being in Santa Cruz is different. Okay, I think that's good. I look at it, it's eight o'clock. I just talk so much. Blah, 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 blah. Sorry. Anyone want to? I'm wondering if you, well, after we take questions, um, would you be interested in doing a quick meditation with us? Well, I was going to do that, but I always forget. How about we not forget? Okay. Okay, we'll do something. Yes, please. Thank you. I'm, I had it in my, my list. <laughs> Anyone ever see this cup? My, this is my favorite, favorite um, far side. And I lost it. And then my kids found it on the internet. Can you see this? Yeah. No? No, we can't see it. You have to describe it to us. It says... Ears. It's two deer talking to each other. One guy, you see his chest on the right or the left? Yeah, I see it. He has a, a, a bullseye on his chest. Yeah. And the other guy's saying, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, okay, so let's, let's do a little bit. Uh, yeah, let's do a little. Uh, yeah, that's a good idea. Thank you, Denise. It's going to be short. We'll just do a short one. The next time, maybe go longer. I'll just introduce for those. There may be people who don't, aren't familiar with uh, sitting practice. So we'll just do um, kindergarten for this, this time. So the main thing, so I want to introduce, right, the proper idea. So the proper idea, you don't have to sit cross-legged. The pro main thing is that the, the, the crown of the head here is in line with your... Um, with your bottom, right? So that so the spine is straight, not rigid, straight. And the head is slightly bowed. Sometimes you see people meditating like this. Don't do that. Okay, just slightly bowed. Uh, your eyes should be slightly open. I actually prefer mine closed, but sometimes they stay a little open. Depends on the meditation. That's the main thing. If you if you yeah. That's the main thing. If you, and then your hands can either rest gently on your lap or on your knees. Uh, knees, usually we say with the palms down. 
Okay. And so um, I sometimes talk about the ABCD of meditation, or, or actually this is mindfulness practice. Uh, a is your anatomy. So that's just what I described. Your body is, is the spine is straight, not rigid, but straight. That makes the energies flow better. Your head is slightly bowed, so you don't start daydreaming. If it's too low, you'll fall asleep, but you know, that. Eyes gently closed, or just slightly open. Hands on your palm, on your knees, or, or your lap. Okay, now forget about the body. You know, you can go, there's more you can do with this, of course. I'm doing the quick one. You can just quickly scan if there's any, any tension, just let it go in the body, shoulders, in your face. Okay, now we sort of forget about the body. And we go to B, A, B. B is breath. So this practice, which is, is universal through all Buddhist practices, becoming familiar with the breath. And here, your focus typically is on the nostrils, the air going in and out. But it can also be on the stomach if you're feeling agitated. Then you bring the energy down and you focus on the on your stomach, you know, going in and out, the movement of the stomach. Let's just go connect, everyone just for a moment, connect with the breath, okay? You don't, oh, with the breath, you don't control it. It's just whatever it's doing, you naturally, you're an observer of whatever breath you have right now. Okay, you found it? C, ABC, C sound stands for counting. And we're not going to do D or E today, but we'll just get a C, counting. So what I like to tell people is you count on the exhalation, one, next exhalation, two, sorry, two, next exhalation, three, like that, until you get to 10. Then you turn around and go 10, 9, 8, 7 to 1. If you completely lose count, that means you got too distracted, so you kind of have to start over. But if you just wander a little bit, you don't have to start over. So, okay, that's all we're going to do tonight. So let's do one round. We'll just, uh, or we'll, let's do a few minutes. So now your body is just forgotten about because it's comfortable. Your breathing you've connected with. Oh, you don't do anything now but observe, except for counting. It's the only thing you do. You observe and count, okay? And I'll be quiet for a few minutes.
Okay. Everyone still there? I never use gongs, by the way. I'm going to start using it in this class, okay? Thank you, uh, Karuna and everybody. Uh, Also, would you like to do a dedication, Karuna? Yeah, I will at the end. Okay. I'm not sure we're finished. Are we finished? We can finish. I I think it's a long time to listen to blah, blah, blah. It's it's 8.06. If people have questions, maybe you'd like to answer questions. Yeah, I wanted to see if anyone did. You don't have to. I have a question. Um, so I, I've been studying Buddhism, and like you mentioned, happiness is in the inside, not in the outside. So I've been meditating that and taking that throughout my day, throughout my routine. But when I had those moments of feeling sad because my me and my ex didn't work out, like what would be the best antidote to like? Uh-huh. So we Thank you. So we will talk about antidotes, of course, more. Um, so it's hard to say one one thing. Uh, it depends on your level of practice, too. Uh, you say you're, you are Buddhist? Vanessa? Yes, I am. Okay. So uh, in, uh, okay, in this similar tradition as, as what I'm speaking from? Yes. Okay. So as we get as we go forward, um, you know, usually what we try to do is early, early levels of our practice, we're sort of blocking against the arisal of the problem, right? So we develop our mindfulness, we develop our calmness. And then as we progress, though, in this tradition, we begin to take the problem on. So what that means is, is the emotions that might come up, let's just say around your separation I, I think you're referring to separation from your partner uh that brings up an, a particular kind of emotion of um of uh sadness and so uh what we would be doing is start looking at all sadness is arising through clinging and grasping so it's a mental it's a mental function of grasping onto usually the past or loss and so in a very simplistic way, it's way too simple, is we have to let go. So the grass and the clinging to su- is the degree we suffer is the degree we cling. And we're usually clinging to the past. Okay, sometimes it can be a, a future that looks grim. Either way, it's holding. Now, one thing in your meditation, maybe what you can do when you meditate, is you bring the problem up and you see that what you're, you're interacting with, this is what I do, uh, that I'm actually, you think you're inter- interacting with your partner or whatever, right? But what you're really interacting with is a concept, a mental image. That's all. So you loosen the grip on that mental image because you see it's just a mental image. Okay. Tell me how that works when we meet next time. Okay. That makes, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I've been um, like reading from the teachings from the teachers you have learned from, mm-hmm. 
I come and it's, it's so hard. Like you said, it's not for the faint hearted and it's hard for me to talk about this to other people because they don't understand. They're just more into um, kind of the way they treat their problems is by going out and, yep. you know, and, and, it, and they think what I do is boring. <laughs> I know you're a homebody. You're a homebody. Yeah, I am. Yeah. But, uh, but the, all of your, understanding around your Buddhist ideas is meant to be used for exactly what you're struggling with. So sometimes it's hard to connect with how it is. One other way you could also approach is what, whatever is your strongest practice, you know, we all have different things, whether it's meditating on kindness, loving kindness or an emptiness or whatever is you, you then this object, but I think what will be the key for you is to understand that you're struggling, what you struggle with is not the person or whatever, it's with a concept, a mental image, okay? Okay. And, and those mental images have a, a, a life of their own, but the, each time you do this, it will weaken, I promise you. It might take a little longer, you know, but it, it's the exact thing that gets it to weaken. And we can talk about it more, there's more to it, but that's a, maybe that, let me know how that goes. Okay. Thank you. Would you be open to hearing another comment on that same thing? Absolutely. I was speaking to the woman that asked the question because I don't want to horn in on what she was saying. Oh, Vanessa is okay if you get... Yeah, sure. Go for it. So I I dealt with this very thing today, actually. Like I said, I've been taking the opportunity that COVID has offered me to transform my thinking, right? And deal with my attachment traumas and issues that come up and to try to be as brief as I can through this trauma process. I've discovered by following my fears down to the bottom, little teeny pieces of me. And I name them different things. There's replaceable girl and unlovable girl. Mm -hmm. And you leave them up, right. And you give them a hug and you thank them for what they did to get me to where I am now and let them know that what they did allowed us to survive. And now, I mean, it's just this beautiful process. Yes. And, uh, and I've met so many of them and some go away the first time and some keep coming back. Right. And today, right. so lately I've really been struggling. I mean, with this hard and I have my primary partner months ago had agreed to sort of take on the parental role in my trauma therapy to be there. So I'd have my first trauma was at three. I never completed that independence separation. I'm mm -hmm. strong, and stable. I own my own home. I can damn well live my life, but I'm terrified inside because I need a parent. Oh, right? sorry. So I'm looking to shift that and complete that process and become my own parent. Exactly. And the rug just keeps coming out from under me. And it seems like all of these me's that I run into, I keep just seeing the same ones. And today in therapy and really digging deep in this and doing some breath work and some visualization work and really looking at why does this one person, why only this one person, I have these incredible amounts of suffering over not being able to see right now. And a new one came out today. Mm -hmm. I won't go into detail about the trauma, but after I witnessed the beating I hid, and my mom was the one that was beaten and the beater left. And every time I'd go to be with her, she looked fine from the back, but when she turned around, she was just horribly bloody and oh, like a monster. And yeah. so I hid, I protected myself by hiding from the monster and being so damn confused. That one came out today. Mm. She'd never come out before three years, 33 months of doing this. Wow. 
And I realized in that moment, fortunately, it happened with my therapist in the room, and maybe that's why she came. She didn't want to be noticed. She didn't want to be seen. She didn't want to be found. Mm. And the person that got me out of there was my grandfather. He lived about 45 minutes away, but my mom must have called him because at some point there he was on the floor in front of me, like coaxing me out. And then he died a couple of years later and he was the only protector I had left. And what I realized is this incredibly kind man who agreed, who never knew me then, who agreed to help me get through this trauma process because he's stuck two hours away. He's the parent, right? He's the guy that I desperately need to keep me safe to come rescue me from under those blankets. Mm -hmm. I never realized that the parent I was placing was my grandfather until today. Wow. And all of that manifested in me literally crying for hours over the last few weeks because I couldn't see this guy. Wow. Because I was convinced he didn't want to see me, even though it's COVID that's keeping him away. That reframing has been so difficult. Mm -hmm. And I'm really hopeful that with the realizations I had today and the opportunity to meditate on that now, that maybe this will, maybe it may not be the one, but maybe it will. Maybe this particular spin will finally end. And this one, oh my fuck, pardon me. But it's brutal. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's one, what I wanted one. to put out there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to say one, uh, one, one addition to that. I can't really add to any of those things, but the one thing I thought about uh, also for Vanessa, all of, I think it's good to think. Maybe next time we'll talk about this, young, But to think about what your values are. What is it that you want to become? And then think, just like one or two of them. What do you want? You know, what do you really, what do you really treasure? Do you treasure compassion? Do you treasure love? Do you treasure tolerance? Do you treasure openness, warmth, affection? Or, you know, some people maybe don't even know. But if you think, and you can identify one or two of those, if we have to think that none of those arise through feeling good. <laughs> they all arise from dealing with our crap. You know, you don't become patient by sitting in a room watching television, you know, your best favorite show. You become patient being in the checkout line with the guy who doesn't have his mask on and standing two feet away from you. Okay, but if you don't care about developing patience, then, then it doesn't matter. But all of us do have values and, and uh, visions of what we want to become. So sometimes not so clear. Okay, so I think that's good. I don't know what time it is. Eight, oh, I do. 8.20 or something. 8.15. Uh-huh. Okay, should we leave it? Any other burning? Burning, burning problems? Would you like to do a dedication? Yeah. So I forgot to motivate in the beginning. That's what we usually do. But anyway, uh, so... The reason we do motivation dedication, motivation dedication is that actually the mind is, without stopping is always in, always has a motivation or intention. It's always driven with intention. So usually our intention is I want to feel good. You know, if you stretch your leg out right now, it's because you want to feel better. You want to feel comfort. Okay. It's either we want to feel comfort or get away from discomfort, which is the same thing. Okay. So, uh, so that just leaves an imprint on our, that just makes that habit in our, in our brain. So what we can do is actually we can uh, think about this hour and 45 minutes we've been together. And we can think about that the energy and rather than ripening just as, you know, a very temporary, you know, 
excitement or tired, whatever, is you can actually dedicate the, like putting it in a bank. So it's like putting it in a bank and you're dedicating your plus one onto your next car, onto your uh, cruise. But in this case, I think what we charge is something meaning, more meaningful than just a temporary happiness. So I think we can dedicate this energy that we share together, these imprints, towards uh, the relief of the of uh, confusion and fear from the present situation. Also dedicated towards the love, kindness, and warmth towards all the living beings, even the politicians who are trying to figure this out and they're not figuring it out right or they are figuring it out right then dedicating towards warmth and affection for all the people who are suffering under the physical disease and fear. Uh, loss of resources, worry about money. And so we can think that this uh, energy completely relieves all of them, all those problems. We can, we can wish. And it all the energy is directed, dedicated towards our own consciousness, mind becoming awakened. So that why? Not just for me. Then I really know how to help other beings. Okay, that's the purpose of attaining awakening. Not just because it feels good. Okay. Then I'll know how to help people without even thinking. Thank you so much, all of you. Thank you. Um, I had a good time. I hope I didn't overwhelm you with too much blah talking. And we'll see you next week.